0: John chapter 6 and from verse 16 through to 21 wonderful thank you let's hear God's word when evening came his disciples went down to the sea got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, "'It is I. Do not be afraid.'" then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is God's Word. I sometimes think there are... Particular challenges with listening to sermons. Obviously, we think that listening to sermons is a good thing. At least I hope you think that. But it does come with a set of risks, or at least challenges. There are many of these. You're probably aware of them yourself. The most obvious challenge is familiarity. If you go to church fairly regularly, if you grew up in a Christian home, you have heard a lot of sermons. When you come across a part of the Bible with which You are familiar, you have heard sermons on it beforehand, you've probably studied it yourself quite a lot, a passage like this one of Jesus walking on the water. It's easy to be over-familiar, to miss its punch, its impact because you've heard it before. And while, of course, you want to hear it again because you believe it, as many of us do here this morning, though probably not all, we always have people from outside exploring the faith, and if that's you, you're welcome. But for many of us, we believe it, we know it, we're familiar with it, and we sort of receive its message again like a... A pill that goes in and we hardly even notice. And if a preacher like me brings out something new from this passage with which we're so familiar, it it can give us pause, make us wonder whether that new thing that that preacher brought out is really in the passage. Because after all, we know the passage pretty well already. How could there be something new? So, yeah, I think familiarity is a huge challenge with listening to sermons. But there is a greater one, I think. And that greater challenge is we get used to thinking in simplistic ways. Obviously, as a preacher and uh, as a listener to sermons, you believe that there are hugely profound and satisfying answers to the questions of life in the Bible. But the very exercise of preaching, you know, you have... 25, 30 minutes or so, and you have a uh, congregation of everyone from, well, from 95 to just a few months old. That very mode of communication, people who are professors, people who are business-orientated and more practical, uh, people who... Have young children and have not slept for at least six months. That whole range of different kinds of people that makes church so wonderful means that inevitably, as a preacher, you must simplify. You must make it straightforward and clear and as simple as possible. But of course, the challenge of that is sometimes you can oversimplify, it can be simplistic. And so we Christians then can end up living on slogans. And when someone goes through a difficult time or a storm, as the disciples were in the passage we're looking at this morning, like a sort of knee-jerk reaction, we come out with whatever the slogan du jour of the day might be. They sort of go around in, in circles, these slogans. They they rise to a particular popularity at a certain moment. You know, I don't know what the most common one is right now, but there'll be two or three of these things that you'll have in your mind that, that are just, yeah, that's, that's it. I'm going to say that. You know, um, God is good all the time. Well, yeah, he is good all the time. But how... Does that come across when someone is facing evil? And is God good all the time and sovereign? And in which case, how does that work when you're facing evil? God is good all the time. It's a slogan, true. But a simplistic way of thinking, if that's the sort of Twitter universe through which we focus our ability to respond to the storms of life. One of the most popular in years gone by was the what would Jesus do question. You know, so that, which is a perfectly valid thing to ask when you're struggling with some ethical challenge. What would Jesus do? Good question. But it became the sort of, the soul matrix through which everyone was trying to answer all the most complicated ethical questions of our day. What would Jesus do? Well, I mean, frankly, sometimes the answer is Jesus would walk on water. It's not very helpful because I'm not going to do that. And so when we come to a passage like this one, with its storm, it's important that we enter into the original experience of those disciples in that storm. They've just been on the mountaintop. With the feeding of the 5,000, with a miracle done of extraordinary power and beauty, and echoing with the themes of the Old Testament, with manna from heaven, and the Messiah King is being acclaimed by. A massive crowd of at least 5,000 people, probably 20,000 in total. And they've had this mountaintop experience where all the desires of their hearts seem to be about to be met. And then they come down from the mountaintop and get into a boat to cross over to the other side. And it's dark. And it's night. And there's a storm. And Jesus is nowhere to be seen. And that is sometimes what it seems like even as a disciple, even as a Christian. So in this passage we're looking at this morning, Jesus is showing us how he can come the storms in our lives when you take i thought about this phrase a lot this week because the risk of it is it sounds like i'm getting into a slogan but a simplistic solution but it's not at all an theoretical or intellectual solution in fact it is i think and it's humbling for me I have to put my Cambridge PhD to one side and look at the text and see what it's actually saying. Jesus can calm the storms in our lives when you take the real Jesus into the boat of your life. So we're going to look at the storm and then, and then Jesus and then... Uh, and then the boat. First, the storm. Look at verse 16. Dis- the storm is described for us. Evening came. His disciples went to the lake. They got into a boat and set off across that lake. Uh, they were going to Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. So this, this famous story of Jesus walking On water was well known to the original readers of John's gospel and so they knew what was coming. It's in uh, Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel and in John's gospel and he needs to put them, his readers, in that position of being the disciples when Jesus had not yet turned up. Jesus had not yet joined them and a strong wind was blowing And the waters grew rough. I want to say this to you. If your Christianity is only good for when the sun is shining, what good is it? Storms will come. Perhaps you are in a storm. A person who you love has abandoned you. They've left you. A person you respect has disappointed you. You feel let down. Or perhaps it's more of a physical and literal storm. Your body is failing you. It's embarrassing. The young people think you are always like that, but you know better. You can't seem to get a job. Perhaps like these disciples, it comes after a real high and then suddenly you're in a low. A moment ago, they were watching as Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 people with a small picnic. And now there is no Jesus, nowhere to be seen. And it's right then when you need him most, when the wind is howling and the waves are rising, he doesn't seem to be around. What do you do about such times? There is a tendency, I think, in biblical Christian circles to downplay such storms, to pretend that they're not as bad as they really are. We don't want to dishonor God. We want to defend His character and we don't want to give voice to the doubts that we feel or the pain that we have because after all god is good all the time isn't he but if we take the bible for our guide we will discover that we can be quite at least honest if not frank about storms, John is. There's a whole body of literature in the Bible called laments. Uh, there's a book called Lamentations about someone grieving a, a great loss. There, there are psalms that are psalms of lament. They give language to the Christian to know how to deal with these the sense of being abandoned. We, we, we must learn to how to deal with the physical or emotional storm of life because after all, there is, even if you're not in a storm right now, there is coming a far greater storm of death and judgment And in many ways, all these storms of our lives right now are precursors. They're preparations for, they're designed to help us get ready for that moment when we can trust God in that storm. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. We have to face up to the storm. And then there's Jesus. Look at verse 19. Here he is. When they had rowed three or f- three and a half miles, in other words, they're rowing against the wind and they're not making much progress. They're struggling in this storm. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. I love that part of the story. Have you ever noticed it? So they're in the storm. They're struggling with the oars to make any kind of progress whatsoever. The wind is howling. They're 30,000 feet above the Atlantic and they're in a storm. And the one time the text says they're frightened. They must have been frightened, but the one time the text says that they're frightened is when they see Jesus. You know why, don't you? It's dark, they're in this boat, there is this storm, the waves going up and down, huge waves, big wind, and then suddenly they see as if. As if it is nothing, this man walking calmly on the water with effortless ease. I tell you, man, it would freak you out. I want to say this to you, if your Jesus is not big enough to scare you, how can he be strong enough to save you? We do a great disservice to people when we downplay the majesty of Christ. We live in a world where people are facing great evil, huge challenges, emotional depression, psychoses, trauma and terror. Where there is a world of barbarous depravity and disgusting deceit and evil and human trafficking and vile violence and abuse and we present them a Jesus who is nice. He's not nice. He just walks on the water while the storm rages as if it is nothing. And yet, yeah, he's scary. It's not a simplistic answer. You know, Jesus says to them, It is I, do not be afraid. He does not say, Here are three points and a poem, do not be afraid. It is I, of course, Literally, I am, and while the translation is perfectly valid, for sometimes that phrase I am can simply mean it is I, here I am, Almost certainly at this moment when Jesus is walking on water and in this Gospel of John that has this high Christology that is designed to elevate Jesus as Logos, as Son of God, as the glorious one. Almost certainly at this moment it is designed to reverberate, to resonate with all the majesty of the great I am that was spoken to Moses. I am. I am. Don't be afraid. There is a storm, and there is a Saviour God, Jesus. And then there's the boat. As I, as I say, I really wrestle with this this week to whether to make it this pointed, but I think this is what the the, the text is designed to, to, to help us to do. And while it makes me feel like I need to put my Cambridge PhD back in a box, which is probably a good idea, I think it is What it's designed to teach us. Verse 21, then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. They took him into the boat, and that made all the difference. Each of the other gospels tell us that, that that at the point that Jesus comes into the boat this storm immediately stops and John's gospel adds the extraordinary detail that at the moment that Jesus comes into the boat immediately 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 they're on the other side storm raging wind waves it is I do not be afraid they gladly bring him into the boat. Other side, quiet. Now obviously there are many times when we go through things in life where it seems as if we're not at the moment where Jesus has solved the problem, we're at the moment where we're still in the problem. And in many ways the whole of our life, the whole of this journey here on earth is one great big storm with momentary lulls before the bigger storm of death when then we will be in a flash, in a twinkling of the eye. The mortal will be clothed in immortality and we will see him face to face and it will happen immediately. Now, there are times when it, it, it doesn't happen immediately like that. But one of the marks, one of the signs of a mature Christian in the storm is they understand this principle. They take him into the boat. In other words... If you see a mature Christian going through storm or suffering, one of the things you will notice is this: they pray. Why? They don't just need they don't need simplistic answers, they need power. A mature Christian understands that the storm is such that it is beyond their own strength and therefore they need one who is stronger than the storm. They they ask Christ. They they pray. They they go to God's word. They need the power of God's word, the creative power that spoke all of reality into existence. They understand that that is the power they need. They need in their in in their boat. And one of the signs of a mature Christian, when they're going through a storm, when they're going through suffering, when they're going through a difficult time, is is not only are they a prayerful person, not only are they a Bible person, they crack open God's word. I've I've got to read this. I've got to read Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've I've got to enter into that storm experience and cry out to God for help like David did. Not only are they like like that with prayer and the Bible, they also a church people. Because they know the strength they need is beyond their own strength. Which doesn't just mean they need community and other people and small groups and Sunday school and all the rest, though they certainly do. It means that they understand that the very The presence of Christ in this world is the body of Christ, which is the church. And they take him into their, their boat. it is I. Do not be afraid. Let us pray. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing, but he is. Thus ask who that may be, Christ Jesus. It is. Is he? It is I. Do not be afraid. Perhaps there is someone here who is indeed going through a storm. Would you take this time now to ask God, to ask Jesus for his? Powerful intervention in your life. Perhaps you're someone who's never truly gone beyond the answers of Christianity. You know the theory, you've read the books, you've heard the sermons. But though it is embarrassing to admit, when other Christians talk about what Jesus told them or how much they know Jesus or how much they enjoy praising Jesus, you don't have that experience. You don't know him. Oh, my dear friend, storms are real. There is a greater storm coming. Would you this morning accept gladly Jesus into the boat of your life? Our Lord, we praise you. In the name of Jesus, Amen.